You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey now, let me ask you this. Have you ever wondered exactly where your family comes from? Well, now you can discover more about them and learn about your own story by combining the Ancestry DNA test with billions of historical family records. In fact, the point is, Ancestry DNA gives you so much more than just the places you're from. Ancestry connects you to all the places in the world where your story started using precise geographic detail and clear-cut historical insights. This really is amazing how they've done this. They've combined DNA results with over 100 million family trees and billions of records to give you more insight into your genealogy and origins. Only Ancestry can tell such a rich story with unique features that give a more complete picture about a person, you know, like events that shaped them, how they made a living, what they excelled in, things like that. Ancestry's unique features and record collections can give a more complete picture of people from your past, like the events that shaped them, how they made a living, even how long they attended school. And it's so easy to get started. Move on this right now. And for a limited time only, right now through August 26th, go to Ancestry.com slash podcast for an exclusive summer DNA kit offer for only $59. That's Ancestry.com slash podcast for $59. Only through August 26th. Ancestry.com slash podcast. They don't know how great Aaron was yet. We did as players. Has there ever been anybody bigger than Brett Favre was in Green Bay? I can remember AJ every day on the show saying, listen, listen, listen. You people are not Packer fans. You're Favre fans. Aaron Rodgers is going to be incredible, and they weren't having it, man. Can't you run back some of that audio and play it every once in a while to remind you all your all your rabid listeners like that you were right? I should just go full Shaq O'Neal and go, tell me how my ass tastes. Tell me how my ass tastes. <laughs> I agree. Cracking. What's up, everybody? You are listening to yet another edition of the Jim Rohn Podcast, episode 92 to be exact, as we inch our way closer to number 100 here on the official side hustle. Today's guest won a national championship at Ohio State. He went on to become the fifth player taken overall in the 2006 NFL Draft. He won a Super Bowl with the Packers in 2011, and now he is killing the game as a broadcaster and a podcaster talking all things NFL, college football, and MMA. I'm talking about A.J. Hawk, and we are pumped to have him on. So let's not waste any more time with this. Ep 92 of the Jim Rohn Podcast begins right now. So, A.J., it's been a minute or two since you and I have wrapped. So bring me up to date. You're always busy, but how is the fall setting up for you, and what do you got going for both the college and NFL seasons? Bring me up to date. Uh, well, yeah, I'm kind of all over the place when it comes to like my broadcasting media type stuff that I do. Um, I- I'm doing some games this year in college football. I'll be doing 10 games for uh, basically they're all Conference USA games, actually, for the stadium, the network. Uh, I did some games for them last year. I've done games with FS1 and, and different places, but I'm-, I'm doing a slate of 10 games there in college. And then I'm actually doing these as an analyst, and I'll, I'll be doing five high school games for – Adidas has this whole thing where you go around, and I did some games last year for him, and we broadcast some of the biggest high school games in the country that are Adidas-sponsored schools, and they they bunch of they put a bunch of money in the production, and we go out there and, and call some of the 
the biggest high school talent uh, in the country. So I'll be I'll be doing that and traveling, and then I do a lot of uh, Sirius XM radio here right from my house on the Big Ten channel, the NFL channel, all over the place. So I'm just kind of I'm just getting reps everywhere. All right, now this none of this surprises me because before you retired, you were already setting it up for your life off the field. In fact, I went through some emails last night. I saw an exchange that you and I had back in 2013. Now, you had just come on the show, and you said something like, I'm impressed with your prep. I'm curious about your process. Can I pick your brain because this is something I know that I'm going to want to do when I'm done? So you were already thinking about that. For that reason, I figured that when you moved into retirement, it would be a pretty easy move. What was that transition like for you when you left the game? Well, uh, I mean, I, I was lucky that I knew what I wanted to do. And, and like you said, from this, the email exchange from 2013, when I was, I'd say my last five years I was playing, I, I tried to at least take advantage of some opportunities that I would have uh, throughout the media just to get reps and to get to know people. And uh, I was pretty passionate about it. And I knew what I wanted to do. So when I was finally done playing, I, I tried to, to do as much as I could. I actually, I, I spent... I spent a month on the Atlanta Falcons the year that they went and got beat in the Super Bowl by the Patriots, and I wasn't planning on playing that year. I mean, I, I was pretty much done, I thought, and the Falcons had a bunch of injuries early in the season that came out. I basically was there for the month of October, and I had a game set up to do with, with Fox on FS1, a Stanford game, and I remember the I, I told him when I signed with the Falcons, I told Fox, I said, hey, I'm not, I have no idea how long I'll be there, so just keep me on that game. Don't take me off of it yet. And uh, I was released by the Falcons on a Tuesday, and then I was actually out in uh, Palo Alto calling a, a Stanford game that Saturday, right after that week. So it's been a it's been a quick transition, but I mean, you you've been doing this forever. It's, it's not easy, and I need as many reps as I can possibly get. But that's why I'm, I'm fortunate to be able to to work as an analyst for games. I, I really enjoy that. I like being there, being in the stadium, and, and trying to dissect what's going on. And it keeps me keeps me intrigued throughout the week too i prep just like i did as a player you know in fact that's exactly if you look at that email exchange that's what i said to you back then is like you know it's never it's never going to be like it was when you were winning a national championship at ohio state or winning a super bowl with the green bay packers but it's still you have to attack it the same way you have to approach it the same way your process needs to be similar even though it's not like as exhilarating as it was i thought that you also aj you wrote a really interesting piece for the Players' Tribune a couple of years back, and you said, quote, I'm pretty determined to not end up as a retirement horror story. What did you mean by that? Like, what types of horror stories result for some guys when they do retire? Well, I mean, I think, unfortunately, it doesn't end well for some guys. And just as I got older, I played 11 years in the league, and and I never thought I'd make it that long, but I would always think about what I was going to do afterwards. And I always I always kind of had a realistic view. Like I knew I could trip and fall down the stairs and my career could be over. Like I, I never took it for granted. So I was always planning for the future. Um, but I, you know, like just the stories you hear and I have friends and, and different people. And a lot of times they, they don't want to go public with it as much, but they just, they're lost. You know, you get out of football and you're so used to that regimen and that, that strict schedule that you have. And you know, like, okay, in April OTAs start and I have a little bit of off time before that. And then training camp, like, and then every single day is scheduled for you. And I think when guys get off that schedule and they don't have somebody telling them where to be and, and what time they need to be there and how long things are going to be, they, they kind of get lost. And luckily for me, maybe it's just my personality. That's one of the best things about retirement is that I don't have somebody telling me my schedule. Like, I love that part about it. I love making my own schedule and being able to, to lay my whole day out like I want. And that's why I love doing a lot of different radio uh, shows and doing different work. I, I, I do an MMA show once a week on Sirius XM. I've been doing for almost two years now. Like, 
I'm, I'm big into football and, and big into fighting. I'm, I'm very lucky that I get to talk about both of them, and I would be watching it no matter what. So I'm very lucky that I, I get to do it. But I just know that I know how my brain works. I need to be doing something. I need to be striving for something. And it's been it's been fun because there's no there's no end game like in the broadcasting world. There's no like oh yep, I've never got done calling a game or doing a radio show and thought yep oh nailed that one that was perfect like no that's never going to happen but I'm always going to chase it. Yeah, it's like you never actually play that perfect game. You're always working towards something. I think the point you make, though, about guys, that when you've been in this thing the way players have, and it's so regimented, right? Every single day, you know exactly what you have to do, you know where you have to be, and then all of a sudden that goes, and you've got nothing but time on your hands. That could be a pretty scary proposition. One more thing. What's it like when you've done something your entire life, your entire identity is wrapped up in being the guy, and then all of a sudden that's ripped from you. You're not the guy. People are not coming around. Doors are not swinging wide open. How hard is that aspect for some guys? Oh, it's, I think it's really hard because I think sometimes people can that are in professional sports that are playing, they can get used to that and they think that that's reality. I never, I never thought that. Like I knew this is some weird fantasy world I'm living in, where they do your laundry for you, your workout gear, whatever you need. Here it is. Like here's your schedule. Oh, you need some help with something? Cool. We have someone that'll call and set up a doctor's appointment for you. Like. I knew this is this isn't reality. I'm like this is some weird fantasy world we're in, and that's not how like the real world operates. So I was always aware of that. I think so. It wasn't like a big drop off for me. And you always hear people like, "Oh, I'm a I'm a football player, but that's not like who I am. That doesn't define who I am." But I mean, it kind of did though. I mean, I played for I started in the second grade playing football and finished when I was what 32, 33 years old, I guess. So it really was for so long. But I never got caught up in in everything about it. I always loved playing. And there's some guys that may not love the game, may not love football, but they love what it brings them. Like, I, I love football. I didn't I didn't care a whole lot for all that it brings you. Yeah, it's nice. You get paid well, and you can get into some cool parties in the Super Bowl if you want. And I did that when I was younger and realized that those, those really weren't what they all, what people talked them up to be. It was never really as cool as you thought it may be before you went to that stuff. So I was always just pretty realistic and, Luckily for me, too, I have two older brothers that made sure that if I ever thought I was, I was cool or doing something special, they knocked me down real quick. That's always about that, right? Good family. You come from good family. You got it. You understood it. You know, I talked to Chris Long the other day, and he had just retired, and he and I were talking, and I said, man, I love rapping with guys who played the game at the highest level for a long time, and then asking them about the personal matchups that they like best. I mean, you mentioned it yourself. You've got an MMA show. You love fighting. Styles make fights. Who were some of the dudes that you had the fiercest battles with and loved to go up against when you played? Man, I mean, the one guy that always pops out in my mind is still doing it now is Adrian Peterson. I played him twice a year for a long time when he was in Minnesota and I was in Green Bay. And I just had so much respect for how, how hard he ran. I always, I always, whenever you would tackle Adrian, like we'd be watching film leading up to it every time we play him. And there was multiple times a game where Adrian's getting tackled by two or three guys and his legs, as he's down, like he's on the ground almost, his legs are still going and then he's pissed off, he punches the ball. Like he thinks every time he touches the ball that he's going to score a touchdown and he's mad when he doesn't. And I, although it was a tough test to try to ever contain that dude, it was always fun and I always had a ton of respect for it too. And he never said a whole lot, just just cared about playing and that's why I think he's he's one of the guys that's still able to do it right now and kind of, Defy, defy the odds and be playing running back at such a high level at, at whatever he is, what, 33, 34 years old maybe? 
It's unbelievable. I mean, I don't know anything about that at that level, but I've shook. I've shaken this guy's hand before, man, and he broke like every bone in my hand. I mean, this guy, he's unbelievable how he's wired like that. And you're right, he's relentless. I mean, he just, it's almost like he takes it personally that you took him to the ground. And then you go to Green Bay, AJ. Like, I'll never forget as a Los Angeles native and me being in this business, I'll never forget the first time I went to Green Bay. It was back in 1996. And I remember walking on the field at Lambeau before the NFC Championship game. And I was like, damn, time really has stood still here. Like, is this 1996 or 1966? It was like this weird, magical place and such a small town. So what was it like to not only live and work in Green Bay and be a member of the Packers, no less, but to win a Super Bowl with that franchise? Oh, it was it was amazing. I, I was so lucky. I mean, I, I I'm an Ohio guy. I grew up in Centerville, Ohio, right by Dayton, and then I got to go to Ohio State, and I never thought that would be a reality. Like I, was, yeah, it was a dream. I never thought it was going to happen. But from going to Ohio State to Green Bay was such an uh, just an amazing transition. Like there's a huge rabid fan base for Ohio State football, obviously. But I got to Green Bay, and I'm like, man, this is this has a very similar feel. Like how passionate they are about the team, how much. They want you to win, but also they don't sit there and kill the team if you if you don't win. Like they're going to be okay about it, and they just they're just rooting for you. And the whole place rallies around that. And you're right; it's a time standstill. Like the people there, my wife talks about it all the time how much she misses being in Green Bay. And we spent nine years there, and just the relationships we made. And the people are special. I mean, you know, if you've been to Green Bay, anyone that's been to the state of Wisconsin, like the people there are the nicest people on the planet. Sometimes you think it's fake. Like, it can't be real. Like, people truly care this much, and they're that nice. But it's a, it's a very unique situation and unique place. And, I, like I said, I'm super fortunate to have spent nine years there and made relationships that I, you know, I still talk to a lot of the guys now, a lot of the trainers. I officiated the wedding of one of the trainers there. Like, I'm just, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a unique place. And being able to go, I went to Cincinnati, and I'm, I grew up in Ohio, so it was kind of a dream to go play for the Bengals for a year or two, like, it's such a, it's it's funny to see how different it is to play in different on different teams. Like it's just such a di- unique perspective getting the opportunity. I think to to see how different organizations operate and how the fans feel about the team. It's just uh, yeah, Green Bay it will always be a special place for me. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you about that year with the Bengals, but in terms of Wisconsin, like our oldest son AJ, we're sending him to college this weekend for the first time. He's gonna go to Wisconsin, so I've been spending a lot of time in Madison and on campus. So this man, the Midwest love is incredible. We actually bought a piece of real estate in Eagle River. Like I've never met people like this before. I know exactly what you're talking <laughs> about. And then in Green Bay, like the the history, it's everywhere. When I went there that first time for an appearance, I had a beer with Fuzzy. Thurston at his bar. I mean, dude, it was incredible. Like, one of my favorite <laughs> athletes ever is Jerry Kramer. Like, that's a man's man right there. So, when you played there, what was it like when, like, the all-time Packer greats would come around? Oh, it was amazing. They And that's the, the good thing, too, about Green Bay. They're, they're very... <laughs> They, they they recognize that. And the, the tradition, the history, and the, the fans will let you know about it. And so, when any of those greats would come back, it, it was just awesome. Because they, they would come back all the time. And I'm thinking, like, well, I... I, of course, I know of these guys. They're like some of them are, especially dating back to some of the older guys. They're like my dad's heroes and, and different players like this that I grew up watching too. I mean, I played two years with Brett Favre, and I feel like Brett Favre made everybody a Packers fan. Like throughout his run in Green Bay, and I was one of them. Like I was secondarily like a, a Packers fan because of Brett Favre, and I got to play two years with the guy. 
and get to see, especially some of the greats that come back. Like you can see it; it's everywhere. They remind you of it. And they should. Like they, those guys should have a huge presence all through the meeting rooms. The, the Packers Hall of Fame in there is really cool to go in and see all of the history there and lay it out for you. And and I think it's it's just such a unique thing that you don't get in every every NFL city. And Green Bay definitely knows that, and I think they run with it. This episode of the Jim Rome Podcast is brought to you by CBS Sports HQ. I think we're all aware that sports TV nowadays is full of made-up drama, beating the same topics into the ground, hot takes from people who don't even believe what they're saying, but CBS Sports HQ is here to change all that. CBS Sports HQ is a network which streams live 24-7, and they've got coverage that's just focused on the game. They bring you the latest news, highlights, previews, and reactions to all the -the on-the-field action. Their fantasy sports experts will give you the info that you need to make the right calls for your lineup. And their betting experts will help you cash in on your wagers. No fake debates, no politics, no screaming. Just sports for real sports fans. And the best news of all, it's free. I don't mean free for a week or a month where you have some special cable package. It's totally and completely free for everybody. You do not even need a login. Just open the CBS Sports app, watch anytime from anywhere on your phone or at home on your Apple TV, Roku, or Fire TV. It could not be any easier. Download the CBS Sports app and watch CBS Sports HQ today. Boy, AJ Favre. That's something right there. Like, I'll never forget those years after the Packers drafted Aaron Rodgers because, you know, I threw in with Aaron. I loved the guy from the jump. I loved him in college. And as great as Favre was, I mean, amazing, right? I kind of started to get a little tired of that will he or won't he act every single year. And I really thought that Aaron was the next big thing. So I fought that fight on this show. We're on my radio program, AJ, like for months, for years, with all the Favre addicts. And the struggle was real for me as a talk show host. What was it like living it and working with it and being on the inside of it back in the day, the Favre Aaron Rodgers thing? It was it was a weird summer, I would say. So after my second year is when Brett retired, and I remember he had a press conference and everything, and so I'm thinking, all right, well, yeah, Brett's gone, so now it's Aaron's time, and I knew how great Aaron was. I mean, he had torched our starting defense for two years. He was running the scout team offense and just making throws every single day that would just blow you away. I remember my linebacker coach at the time, Winston Moss, who now is actually the L.A. XFL head coach, coming up here, uh, he would just run play, certain plays back like every day that these throws that Aaron would make and just run them back five or six times and not even have to say anything. And we'd all just be blown away at different throws that he could make. So we all knew like we were in good hands whenever Brett decides to hang it up. But when Brett, like we came to training camp and the, the Packers had moved on, and like Ted Thompson, to his credit, the GM at the time, said, like, yeah, Aaron's our guy. And all of a sudden, I remember we were at the stadium about to go out in the field for our first, like, scrimmage of that training camp, like 10 days into camp. And on the TVs, they're showing Brett and Deanna, his wife, are landing on a private plane at the airport. It's five minutes from the stadium. And we're all confused. Like, what's going on here? Like, what are we – I don't know what's happening. So going out to practice every single day. I mean, during camp is the only time practice is open to the public. And even though the Green Bay people are the nicest people in the world, a lot of those people were Brett guys. They didn't know how great Aaron was yet. They hadn't seen him play. So – you can, you remember like fans yelling out, where's Brett, bring Brett back, all of these things. And I remember it. I, I'd, I'd gotten to know Aaron well early on and sat next to Aaron in, in every team meeting my whole time, all nine years. So I got to know him well early on there. 
And I just remember how, how well he handled it. Like, it was like an impossible situation to where, like, not many people have to go through that where an absolute legend of the organization wants to come back and the team is on your side and the GM is on your side, but then all the rest of the fans and everybody surrounding the program, they don't really know. They don't know how great Aaron was yet. We did as players and how he handled it with class and, and never really said anything like out of the, the ordinary. Like just, he just handled it perfectly, I feel like. And, and he was confident in his abilities. Like, all right, well, hey, once, once these people see what I can do, I think they'll be okay. And obviously we've, we've seen how that played out. God, dude, it, like impossible to handle that. I don't know how he handled that. Like, has there ever been anybody bigger than Brett Favre was in Green Bay. I can remember AJ every day on the show saying, listen, 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 I'm not there, but you people are not Packer fans. You're Favre fans. There's a difference between the two. You have to make a distinction. This guy's going to be incredible. Aaron Rodgers is going to be incredible. And they weren't having it, man. They just would not hear it. They were not going to listen to it. You need to run back some of that footage. Can't you run back some of that audio and play it every once in a while to remind you all your, all your rabid listeners like that you were right? Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, like, why stop there? Not only should I say I was right because they never let me forget when I'm wrong, I should just go full Shaq O'Neal and go, tell me how my ass tastes. But, you know, <laughs> I agree. You know what's awesome, though, AJ? The thing is, I'll tell you who does remember, and I've, I've never had this conversation with him, but Aaron, Aaron, and you know Aaron. Aaron's going to do the media that Aaron wants to do, and Aaron's going Aaron's to shoot straight. I mean, Aaron's just not one of those look-at-me, look-at-me guys. But he's always been, in fact, when I did this podcast, he was my first guest. He's always been accessible. I think that Aaron remembers. I think that Aaron knows, and I think that Aaron's loyal like that. I think that Aaron knows that a guy like me kind of put himself out there for him, and he never forgot that. Does that sound like Aaron to you? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think he's a very loyal guy, and I think uh, I'm sure he's aware that you stood up for him, and, and you, even though how tough it may have been at the time for people to understand that you were – you were a guy in his corner, so I think absolutely he's on board with that. And that's, you know, I talk to him a lot still. I mean, he's he obviously a big fan. I I go to the Kentucky Derby every year. I meet Aaron and the whole Green Bay crew down there. Maybe you and him should go in and go in and buy a horse together or something. I know you're big into that. You know, I am still into that. Not not as big as I was, but I'm into that. I was going to ask you about the Derby. So when you go to the Derby with Aaron, how much of that is kind of like about the scene and the party and the pomp and circumstance? Are you at all a horse guy? I'm not a horse guy. I've, I've been going maybe five or six years now. I've been meeting them down there. And uh, it's not really about the, the scene, the party and everything. It's more about, like, just hanging out with guys. There's, it's mostly current players that he brings in from Green Bay. And then a couple former guys, like Matt Swin came for the first time this year. was a great addition. It's just about being around the guys. And Aaron rents a nice house there. And just it's a, such a great setup where we go and get to watch there, uh, like, in the turf terrace or whatever. Just an amazing setup. Like, if I ever... Uh, I, he's ruined me though because I can't go to the Derby not with him and that crew. If I went somewhere else, I'd be like, "This is what, I don't know what this even is." Like I've been so spoiled getting to go with them. But he's Aaron's about the horses, man, and about studying. He sits there and opens up the book, and we get there Friday morning. You know the the Oaks race. Like I didn't even know. That's how ignorant I was to the whole thing. The first time I went, I'm like, "Wait, there's races on Friday? Like what's going on?" I just thought it was one Derby race that they show on TV. There's races all day Friday, all day Saturday. And I remember the first day I got there, he's like, all right, well, we're leaving tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. First, first post is at 9.15 or something, so we got to be there for the first race. And we can't miss any races when we go with Aaron. A lot of times we're, we're like the only people up in that turf terrace for the first two hours on Friday and Saturday. 
Oh, dude, he's not playing because that's a long day. And if that's the day before the day and he's there for the first post, he's all about it. He, that, that's a long day. All right, so one topical question then about the news of the day. So you've got all this talk, AJ, about the relationship between the new coach, Matt LaFleur, and Aaron Rodgers. You know you've got two strong personalities. So how does this thing play out? Does the new coach have to conform to the Hall of Fame quarterback who does his thing? Or is the icon going to have to bend for his new coach? How do you see it working out? I mean, I honestly think it's going to work out great. I mean, Lafleur is the number one thing that that he has shown. He can be an elite play caller, and that's the most important job on a on any uh, staff. I believe, no matter what level you are, is the offensive play caller. Like, who's calling those plays? That's the person that can impact the game, at least from the coaching staff, the most. I think, and I think Lafleur is one of the young, creative play callers. And I think he and Aaron are going to be great. I know there's a lot of talk and how they're going to do it, well, what's going to happen to the line of scrimmage? Is Aaron going to have as much freedom at the line of scrimmage to change things? I mean, I just think it's going to be fine. I really do. I think Aaron's going to have a lot of respect for LaFleur's football knowledge and, and how, how much he is invested in the game and how much he wants to win and put up a bunch of points. And all Aaron cares about is winning. So I, I, would, I would imagine it's going to be a great relationship. All right, so you mentioned at the end of your career, you got a chance to return to your home state, Ohio, and play for the Bengals, which had to be awesome but from where I'm sitting, maybe not as awesome as getting to share a locker room with the legendary Pac-Man Jones. Dude, what was Pac like as a teammate, and what was it like to play alongside him? Oh, Pac-Man's the best. So he came out in the draft one year before me, so I'd known of Pac-Man forever. Played against him a few times when I was in Green Bay, and then I got to Cincinnati, and Pac-Man's there, and I'd always watched his game and really respected how he played, how, how hard he competed, but it was fun. I mean, my, my locker mate right next to me is Vontez Perfect, and then Pac-Man's right across the way. Like, there were some dynamic personalities in that locker room, and it was fun. Like, I, I, people ask me about my time there, and I really enjoyed it. I still stay in contact with a, with a good group of them, and it was fun. Like, that group is so tight. We hung out a lot outside of the facility. They were always getting together, group texts all the time, like, it was fun, but Pac-Man is just such a unique individual. Like, when he would come out to practice, you would hear him. You, you definitely knew he was there. And all through warm-ups, like, he's ready. And all he cared about was just competing and winning every single thing he did. Like, when they would do one-on-ones, he didn't care. Like, he'd fight anyone if he had to. He's going to try to break the ball up. Like, you could try to say, all right, Pac, well, if A.J. Green catches this ball, you don't have to, you don't have to strip away at the ball nine times and not let him score. And Pac-Man's like, no, this is how I play. Like, this is what I'm doing. And Pac has, like, the – this code, I feel like that he lives by, and that how he demands respect, and and I think he, he earns everybody's respect by that. I, I really was impressed by that, and, and watching how he would battle through adversity in games. If we were down in the game, he would all, he'd come up with a big play, and just it, it was really fun. It was obviously a little different than my than my nine years in Green Bay, but it was a, it was a lot of fun being around those dudes. They have a ton of energy. They love to compete. They weren't scared of anybody. They definitely weren't going to back down. I think it makes people around them better. You know, you mentioned that you guys came out like a year apart. I remember sitting down with him and doing an interview with him prior to the draft, and he was coming out, and you could tell that was just a different cat, a different cat who kind of came up a different way. You sort of touched on this. I was going to say, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I would imagine that Pac may have even gotten into a fight or two at practice. (laughs) I mean, you think? You think so? I mean, maybe in the first couple of OTAs, I think Pac was in a few fights, and that was just how it was. And everybody knew it. And uh, and I think even coaches, like, they they respected the fact that, like, 
hey, man, like you, no one's taking a day off. Like, and if he felt like somebody on the defense or the offense was trying to take a play off or trying not giving it their all, like, he'll let them know. And he would hold guys accountable, and I love that about him because he would compete so hard in practice every single time. And every once in a while, it's, it's human nature to, to try to, like, oh, man, I'm really tired of the end of a – this is the end of the week. We've been we've been pounding on each other all week. Guys just naturally want to want to let loose or let off a little bit and maybe not go 100. percent But you couldn't do that around Pac-Man. Like he, he's going to hold you accountable, and it was it was fun. Like I mean, even a few in-game scuffles that I was involved in. There's a great picture. We were playing the Raiders out in uh, Oakland, and it was when he got. I don't know if you remember the play. He tracked down Amari Cooper. He was on top of Amari, and he was kind of slamming his head in the ground. I don't oh, yeah. remember this. And Amar- Amari's helmet came off. And I was running, chasing the play. And as I get down there, I didn't really know what was going on. I turn around and a huge, one of their gigantic offensive linemen thinks I'm like in on the fight or something and throws a haymaker at me. And there's a, my dad showed me some picture he has. This guy's, his reach is like Michael Jordan's wingspan, it seemed like. And he's like connecting on my helmet from 10 feet away, it seems like. And I was just, I didn't know what was happening. I turned around and all of a sudden Pac-Man's on top of Amari. And Pac-Man even said afterwards, like, what do you mean? I let off. Like, as he was slamming Amari down, Amari's helmet came off, and Pac thought about, like, throwing a punch, but he realized his helmet was off, and he's like, and he held off. And I think Pac-Man was kind of proud of himself for that, and I, I was too. I was like, you know what? Hey, you even in the moment, you realize, and you're like, ah, I can't hit him in the face with no helmet on. So I, I felt like he should be applauded a little bit for that. Like you said, man, he's got a code. He lives by a code. Exactly. Right? Exactly. No, I understand that. I, I am fascinated by all things Pac which is why I had to ask you that. You know, AJ, you mentioned the, the Raiders. I, I got to ask you, like, like, some of these guys are just different cats no matter what. Antonio Brown would be considered a different cat, an amazing player, Hall of Fame player, crazy work ethic. We know all this about him. But, man, lately it's just been, even for him, weird. Like, what went through your head when you heard that he got frostbite? And then what did you think when you saw how jacked up his feet were? I was a little bit surprised, but you know what? Like, I've been in those cryo chambers. Actually, uh, going back to Pac-Man, Pac-Man, he's a generous dude. He brought in uh, this mobile cryo unit one time to the facility, and it was in the parking lot. I remember I was, I think it was during training camp, and I was walking off the field, and Pac's like, hey, man, we got a, I got a cryo guy here. If you want to go, you should go get in line. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? I've never seen a mobile cryo unit. And Pac-Man paid for some guy that has this big trailer unit, and it's a cryo unit. You go in there, and it's the cryo chamber. You get it, you know, you go in there for three minutes, and you do the whole deal. And I, I've been in them before, so I know. Like, if you go in there, they, the number one thing they tell you is like, "Hey, you can't wear your socks that you came in with, because even if you think you're not sweating, there may be some sweat on there, and you can get frostbite." So I, yeah, it looks like like Antonio wore his own socks in there, and that's what happened. So it was, it's a nasty looking thing, but I don't know who let him wear his own socks. God, dude, that is so weird. And if you've done it a hundred times, I mean, is that just one of those deals where like, man, I'm gonna get in, I'm gonna get out, I got things to do? I mean, how could that happen to a guy like that? Yeah, I think you're right. Maybe it just had he was probably in a hurry, felt like he was all squared away, and and then all of a sudden that happens, and you see like, man, that's nasty. And yeah, it's those things you do have to watch out. I know, unfortunately, some some poor girl was was working one of the cryo chambers at one of the places, and she ended up dying a couple of years ago because she went in, and she was the only one in the building, and something happened where she her head dipped in too low, and she oh. passed out and ended up dying in there. So yeah, they're dangerous. You definitely have to watch out for them. Uh, I love that phrase, squared away. you got to be all squared away. I think about like uh, Jocko Willink when he says, like, Jocko's always like, you got to be squared away. you got to be squared away. You follow, I mean, you've got like kind of a, an interest in the military. Do you follow any of those guys, those former Navy SEALs? Like that, that's just a I mean, different breed altogether. 
Of course. Yeah, Jocko. I mean, who doesn't love Jocko? If you don't right? know who Jocko is, right? I don't want to talk to you. Yeah, you lose my number if you don't know Jocko Wellink. He's amazing, man. Yeah, he uh, he talked about a dude that's squared away. I mean, he, he's unbelievable. But, uh, yeah, I've, I've been hugely interested in different people in, in the military my whole life, really. I grew up reading all these Navy SEAL books about the guys back in, in Vietnam and Demo Dick, Richard Marcinko, and all these guys. I used to love reading that stuff when I was in 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. And, when I was just sitting in class and acting like I was reading my, my history book and I'd have one of those books in, in, in there so the teacher couldn't see me, I, that was my, my luxury reading. And I've been so, so lucky. That's one of the great things about being in the league. Um, I was able to meet Rob O'Neill, who shot Bin Laden, came through Green Bay um, actually maybe two months before he went public as the Bin Laden shooter. And we knew something. I remember our trainer said, hey, this guy, there's a, a seal in here. I know you love meeting these guys. You want to meet him. He's got. You want to meet him. He's got something big coming up on the horizon. I think. And I was like, oh, we're okay, whatever. And I remember talking to Rob in Green Bay, and he said, yeah, yeah, I, I was in. Like he mentioned different battles he had been in. He's like, yeah, and there's one other kind of thing that you know you, you might know about here shortly coming up that that you, you you'll probably see out there. And it was that when he came out about that he was the Bin Laden shooter. And I've uh, I've actually gotten to have Rob on my podcast a few times, and he was at the Derby one year with Kid Rock. So it's like one of those things. This isn't even real. I'm sitting here with Kid Rock and the guy that shot Osama bin Laden. Okay, where is this? This is fantasy world. Dude, that's incredible. That's an amazing story. That That is really, really surreal. You know, AJ, you mentioned Ohio State and growing up in Ohio. Like, I got I to gotta know, what were your earliest recollections of the school? Like, how old were you when you first have a, a memory or recollection of Ohio State, the football team? I mean, we're talking like two years old, three years old. Do you ever not remember? I can't think of when I wouldn't remember Ohio State. I mean, growing up in Ohio, when it was like Michigan week, like every elementary school, we would every day there was a different theme leading into the Michigan game where you're wearing your Ohio State gear and doing all of that stuff. I grew up about an hour and 15 minutes from Ohio State's campus, so yeah, I was, I was really involved. I, ended up not, I didn't end up going to my first Ohio State game, I believe, until I was a recruit there, though, huh. just because I was – I was playing football, baseball, basketball, so all of our weekends were pretty much taken up. I was just trying to watch the games on TV, um, and we were traveling around with our brothers playing different sports. But, uh, I mean, I was a huge fan of Andy Katzmore, the big cat. That guy was uh, such a, a polarizing figure and such a big, just a large human, and I ended up having a I, – I had a class with Andy. I think my freshman or sophomore year, they were calling, like, roll on the first day, and they said, Andy, uh, Andy Katzmore, and he's like, here, Andy was in the back just raising his hand. He looked at me and gave me a little wink. And then I got to know him over the years and play some golf with him. And he still lives in the area. So, yeah, guys like that. And, like, every, all those guys were great legends to me. And, and I got there as a freshman. We went 14-0 and won a national championship. And I would just remember going out to even, like, our first practice, practicing with these guys. I'm like, man, these, uh, these are, like, the, the guys I look at. Like, they're not even real people. It's like you look at movie stars, and I'm on the same field as them and really got to learn a lot from them, too. So it was, uh, yeah, I don't know how, how I, I got there, what I did to, to become lucky enough to, to make it. But, man, I, I formed some great relationships and learned a ton from those guys.
You beat me to it. I, I could not wait to ask you about the big cat. And, I mean, he was a polarizing figure, but, man, but he was larger than life. But not only did you get there, I mean, you're a freshman linebacker at Ohio State, and the next thing you know, you're preparing for a national title game. And, and not only would that be a lot to ask, but you're preparing for a team that many people at that time viewed as the greatest squad ever at the U. And, and just to run down some of these guys, Willis McGahee, Frank Gore, Andre Johnson, Ken Dorsey, the private, Kellen Winslow, William Joseph, Vance Wilfork, DJ Williams, John Vilma, freaking Sean Taylor, Antrell Roll. I mean, AJ, are you fucking kidding me about that? What was it like <laughs> leading up to that game? And then what do you remember most about the game itself? Well, we were sitting in a good position because no one gave us a chance to win. I mean, we were like the old school trestle ball winning games 14 to nine here and there. Like we were, we had a really, really good defense and we had Maurice Claret playing running back for us, who was an absolute monster that year. That was his true freshman year. We were in the same class. So leading up to that game, I mean, luckily I was so young and naive. I didn't, I couldn't understand the magnitude of, of where we were and what we were doing. But throughout that whole season, it seemed to grow every single week, every single win that we had, like, all right, we keep doing this. Like we could, we could really make it happen. We can get there. So that whole week, though, out in Arizona at the Fiesta Bowl for the national championship, oh, I mean, we, we heard a lot about how people weren't giving us a chance and that I think we were huge underdogs. And going into that game, I think we felt super confident with the guys we had and, and the fact that we hung around and, and found a way to, to win a triple overtime game. Uh, I do remember after the game going out to, like, the 50 and we're celebrating and talking with my teammates, guys that weren't seniors, and thinking, like, oh, this is awesome, man. We're going to do this every year. Let's go back and – we're going to go 14-0 every year, and I never got back to the national championship game. So I guess it's one of those things, as you get older, you realize like how difficult that is to do and how special it was. Right. They can't take that from you. You mentioned Claret, man. He, wow, he was something else. He, he obviously made some poor choices and got caught up in some pretty crazy, wild shit. That title game was his last college game ever. Like, What was he like that year, and did you know that he was going to kind of run into the trouble that he did off the field? No, I mean, we could have never forecasted what what happened with him um, once he got away from, from school. But he was definitely like a larger-than-life character. I remember coming in, my, so my senior year in high school in the spring, I came and watched a few of the spring practices, and Maurice had come in. He had enrolled early, so he'd been there through winter conditioning. He was practicing uh, with the team already. And I remember being there for one of the practices, watching and just seeing – multiple guys on the team, like upperclassmen, be like, oh, oh, they like they were shying away from going against Maurice and drills. Maurice was running special teams. He's on, like, punt block, doing everything at the time, and everyone was, like, staying away from him just because he was so good. You know, Maurice, if you, if you ever saw him, like, he had gigantic legs and ass and a big old head, and he was so hard to tackle, and he was determined to score every time, like I talked about Adrian Peterson earlier. So I, I think we knew, like, okay, this guy is – He's something else. Like he's he's on a different planet than the rest of us, and, and he was. He worked he worked his ass off. And I mean, his very first game there, I don't know how many yards he had, but it was a ton. And the whole stadium starts chanting his name, like Maurice, Maurice. And I'm thinking, like, wow, this guy came in with all this hype. It was like a LeBron level hype that he came in with, and he absolutely lived up to it. Unfortunately, he he only played one year there. Yeah, like so. What kind of an NFL player do you think he would have been? I think he would have been a stud. I really do. He could catch the ball out of the backfield. He could do everything. He's a great blocker, too, which is something that people don't talk about as much. But especially in the right scheme, the right system with his head on straight, Maurice would have been a stud in the NFL. And unfortunately, he got derailed and served some jail time. I mean, good, like almost three years in jail 
and got caught up with the wrong people. But now he's he's doing a lot better. He lives in the Columbus area, and I know he's he's turned his life around, gives speeches, and he's in, involved in a lot of different businesses, and he's a big like fitness guy too now. But he he could have been a stud. I don't know who I would compare him to. I mean, he almost has a body type of like a Marshawn Lynch type guy, and how he how he would run with that much like anger and just an absolute savage. Like it was a similar type thing from when trying to, to tackle Maurice in practice and then tackling a, a guy like Marshawn Lynch in the pros. Like they 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 remind me of each other a little bit. Mm, that's great. So one more thought about Ohio State. You've got Ryan Day who comes in now as a Chip Kelly protege, and you know he's got a tough task. He's got to follow Urban Meyer. A lot of hype, a lot of buzz around the young guy, and he is young. What do you think about Ryan Day, and how do you think he'll do in Columbus? I like him. I really do. I've had the chance to talk to him a good amount, too, and I was just that I went to Ohio State's one of their first scrimmages they had during training camp, and I got to speak with Ryan throughout the spring a little bit, and I came away like really impressed with how confident he was like in his message in that he has so much respect for Urban Meyer and what Urban's done. And, and Ryan Day also is like a Chip Kelly disciple, but he like makes it his own. He's not running a program that he feels like someone else would want him to run. Like he's super confident in his message, what he thinks and what he's going to do. And I think he's going to ride or die on that. And I, I respect that a lot. And you talk about expectations, man. I mean, Usually when you take over as a head coach, the team was like down the dumps and something it's like a rebuild and team they're gonna give you some time. Like absolutely not. Not in Ohio State. They they only lost one game last year and you're replacing the you have a new quarterback coming in, so all the pressure is squarely on Ryan Day and because they do have a ton of talent on that team, but that's the thing, like, you can't lose a game in Columbus. You definitely can't lose to Michigan. I mean you saw how, how great Urban Meyer was against him. He he's he's perfect against Jim Harbaugh in Michigan, so Ryan Day can't do that. And I mean people here the expectation level is super high, and I think that's why they love it. And Ryan Day seems to thrive in that. So hopefully that translates to Saturday. Right. Now, before you go, you mentioned you love the fight game, and you've actually got a show. You're a host of a show on Sirius about MMA. How did you first get interested in mixed martial arts? Uh, I mean, I just honestly, as a fan, I'd say for the last 15, 20 years, I've been watching as a fan and, and <laughs> how my show came about. Luckily, I was, I was doing some work with Sirius uh, just filling in on different like football shows, and then you know how how it goes, Jim. Just be available. That's all you gotta do. Is try to be available. Smart, and they, man. A couple of times that like, yeah, co-host of, of uh, MMA shows would wouldn't be able to take take a shift and ask me to fill in, and, and I would fill in. And I never claimed to be some kind of expert. Like I know exactly what's going on. I, I, I just let people know how big of a fan I am. And that I like. I really enjoy trying to. I, re- I enjoy talking to fighters and getting to know like how what they're thinking entering the cage and throughout their training process but luckily then then they started a they have a, ch- a channel there and I, I i got to do a show i do it only once a week now on on thursday nights but um I, I just honestly just being a giant fan and then luckily i've been able to work it into somewhat of a job there and it's just i, I watch all the events anyway so luckily i get to talk about it that's so smart what you just said, though. You just got to make yourself available. I mean, availability is your best ability no matter what you do. So really quick, when you, you've got an Ohio connection with Stipe Miocic, and I know you've interviewed him, he got his heavyweight title back by finishing off Daniel Cormier in really impressive fashion. How concerned were you, though, for him after the first three rounds and the way that fight was developing? Oh, I was super concerned. I mean, that was like a, it was like a Rocky Balboa-type fight with how – how well Daniel Cormier was attacking them. Like everything was just, would just seem to be flowing for DC. And how I have so much respect for Cormier. That's like 
when when Kume fights Stipe, it's like, all right, man, like this is one of those ones where you don't want anyone to lose. Like, how could he not right. be such a fan of both of these guys? And it was such an amazing fight, and the adjustment that Stipe makes going to the body on DC, and you can see him just chipping away, chipping away, and then he, he finds a way to finish him, and you saw how excited Stipe was afterwards because Stipe kind of stuck to his guns. He wanted a rematch, and they offered him other fights. He's like, no, I'm going to hang out. I want to fight DC again. I want to, I want to avenge my loss. And, and it was just so impressive how he did it. And, like, Stipe's chin, are you, are you kidding me? He ate so many shots from Daniel Cormier throughout those first three rounds. I mean, how, how do you not love both these guys? But Stipe, I mean, you got to put him in the conversation as the greatest, one of the greatest heavyweights of all time. Oh, you're so right. I'm so glad you should. that was your take on DC, too. He's like, God, he's one of the best fighters ever. He literally is one of the best guys ever. And he just, I mean, he owned it completely, right? That was a really bad tactical play when you wrestle as well as he does. But he owned it right afterwards, AJ, saying, look, man, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the striking. I was landing, and I could see the damage I was doing, and I fell in love with it, and it cost me. Everybody knows about the risks of driving drunk. You could get into a crash. People could get hurt, even killed. But let's take a moment and look at some surprising stats. Almost 29 people in the United States die every single day in alcohol-impaired vehicle crashes. That's one person every 50 minutes. Even though drunk driving fatalities have fallen by a third in the past three decades, drunk driving crashes still claim more than 10,000 lives every year. Many people are unaware that driving while high can be just as dangerous. In 2015, 42% of drivers killed in crashes tested positive for drugs. Not so harmless after all, is it? And get this, from 2007 to 2015, marijuana use among drivers killed in crashes doubled. The truth is, driving while high is deadly. Stop kidding yourself. If you're impaired from alcohol or drugs, do not get behind the wheel. If you feel different, you drive different. Drive high, get a DUI. Drive sober or get pulled over. Dude, what do you make of that video of Conor McGregor cracking that old man with his left hand when he refused to drink his whiskey? Do we have to add that to our list of reasons to go, that you said no to free whiskey? I mean... Yeah, I guess. So what was that, what's that guy's problem, man? At least just take it and tell him thank you and pour it under the bar or something. Well, Connor may have seen that, and <laughs> it may have been even worse, though. So you can't do that. I know I've I've done that in the past. You know, someone wants to give you some shot, and like I don't know if you put roofies in this, man. I don't want it, and you you fake like you take it, and you pour it under the bar. Like I've done that plenty of times, <laughs> right? Or throughout my time, but yeah, I mean, Connor seemed to have a bit of a quick trigger there. I mean, maybe you could have asked him, maybe he said a few words, but who knows? What's the backstory to that? What is, I don't does he have a previous relationship with that guy? Like it seems like. Connor may have made a bit of a judgment there just punching that guy so quickly. But, hey, credit to that old man, though. He took it, didn't go down, stood up. Looked like he was mad, too, that, at Connor for hitting him. So, I, I mean, that's just Connor being Connor, I guess. Dude, I agree with you. I was going to say, what's crazier, that Connor gave him the left hand or that the old man barely flinched when he took that shot? Yeah. I mean, dude, he dude put ate Jose. It, ate it and then looked up mad at him. He's like, yeah, what? Is that all you got? Like, he put Jose Aldo to sleep with that shot. This old man didn't even move. Didn't even move. Yeah. So, it was in Ireland, right? Was that in Ireland? It was in Ireland. It was. Yeah, they make them tougher. They're, they're tougher over there, that's for sure. Hell yeah. All right, so last thing. Like, it takes a different breed to get in the cage in the first place. Have you ever seen a dude, and you can relate, like, you were a professional athlete. Have you ever seen any dude in that sport, or any sport for that matter, like Nate Diaz? I mean, this is a different cat. No, I mean, and especially what he just did, Anthony Pettis coming off a three-year layoff. I mean, you got to be kidding me. And 
the Diaz brothers alone are just a, a rare breed, and I don't know if we'll see anybody like them again. I just kind of stick to, to who they are and don't make any apologies for it. And the funniest thing is when you, you hear people talk about it, like John Annick, who I know a little bit, who does the play-by-play for the fights, they're, they're talking about how it's like the whole arena out there in Anaheim waited until Nick Diaz's walkout music played until they lit up and started smoking. And then they said it was like the whole arena, just it was just smoke-filled for Nick Diaz. And, like, that's hilarious that this is his, like, his thing. And he's so – he just – he leans into it. He's not trying to hide. He's not trying to be somebody he's not. And the fact that, that he's able to back it up inside the cage like he did, especially come off that three-year layoff, I, I guess you, got, you have to give him a ton of credit. I know he's big into, like – He's doing triathlons and doing these Ironman competitions, and he just seems to test his his body to, to the physical limits at all times, no matter what he's doing. So, yeah, he's he's an amazing, polarizing figure. God, dude, he's so amazing, right? Like, when he when he smoked out at that public workout, AJ, midweek, <laughs> I said to Dana, I talked to Dana White that week, and I'm like, dude, what did you think when you said that? And for one of the rare times, Dana was just like, he was speechless. He's like, it's Nate, man. It's Nate Diaz. That's just Nate. Like, you don't know what he's smoking, and he's passing it to the fans. It was such a Nate <laughs> yeah, Diaz right. move. He passed it to, like, a photographer, dude. Right. I think the photographer took a hit from it. All right, so do you think we'll see Nate and Masvidal? And if so, how do you think that would go? Oh, man. I have a hard time doubting Nate uh, in any of his fights, and I know he's got, he's got plenty of losses in his career, too. But... I love Jorge Masvidal and what he does. And the flying knee to Ben Askren was, was unbelievable. But the two guys, like, and I think Nate even said it in, in the cage after the fight, like, yeah, he's both gangsters. Let's see who the biggest gangster is, you know. And, and so that's why it's a fun matchup. I, I'd have a, I have a hard time picking against Nate Diaz. But you know what? I think Jorge might have a good game plan, try to, to work that, that lead leg that, that Nate has and, and kick him and try to soften him up a bit. And I think Jorge Masvidal might find a way to beat him. AJ, last thought. I know I keep saying that, but, man, you're so good. I hate to let you go. But looking at that Tahoe tournament, I know you love that event. It's always a great invite to get. You know, you go back a few years when you laid that one cat out. That was was such an amazing thing because that was before you expected things like that to get captured necessarily on video and get viral. And now these dudes show up every single year. 2019, man, this year, dude, you laid that dude out. You laid that dude out. How did that feel hit? Or how did that hit feel, I should say? Well, I mean – so yeah, it's a, it's a weird thing how, how it all how it all plays out. Going back to when it first happened too, like I, I guess I was these guys were staying at the tee box uh, like the Thursday pro am day out there, and they're they were asking a lot of different players I guess that came through to tackle their one buddy, and I was the one dumb enough to say yes. And so then all of a sudden I started a thing, and I was so worried like with the NBC guys and John Miller with NBC is a big part of sending the invite list out. I'm thinking oh no, like my brother's caddy for me every single year out there, and I'm not a good golfer. But luckily, I've been getting invited. I'm like, man, I'm never coming back. These guys aren't inviting me. There's no chance. And I saw John Miller, and he's like, hey, it was great. We're going to run it over the weekend. It's, it's gone all, It's online. It's all over the place. Like, it was great. We we're really excited for it. And it's kind of grown into this thing where all these guys come, the same guys every year. So, yeah, so that's what I have to do to get an invite back. I'm, I'll do whatever you want. It's an amazing tournament. I played terrible golf this year for three straight days, unfortunately. I didn't play very well. I wish I was a better player. But if I need to tackle somebody to – to hopefully to help get an invite, I'm, I'm your guy. I'll do whatever you need. That's easy. And finally, you look amazing. I mean, you obviously you're still committed to fitness and working out. Like a lot of athletes, when you deny yourself for so long, some guys are like, screw it, man, I earned it. I'm going to let it go. 
and you're obviously not that. Is it is it a hard thing to do, or is that kind of a lifestyle thing, and that it would be much more difficult to go the other way and let yourself go? Like, how do you approach it post-retirement? Oh, I mean, so I got four little kids, and so I, I work out in my basement every single morning. I get up before they do, and that's like my time when I can work out. And people always say, oh, why don't you come work out with me? I'm like, absolutely not. I spent my whole life working out with groups. I don't want that. I want that alone time. That's when I get to get to do my thing and sweat down there by myself. But, yeah, it's just a lifestyle thing. I think just the nutrition, how I eat, how I work out. I have to work out to feel good physically and mentally and to try to hang on to my wife, make sure she doesn't trade me in for a younger version of me, man. Like, you know, she's my wife's getting better looking with age, too. So I got to find a way to do that. I know my face isn't getting better looking, so I got to figure out how to how to keep my body in, in check somewhat. I don't want her to get a, get the wandering eye. We're we're like in our thirteenth year of marriage, so you, you got to make sure you you keep everything solid at home. Oh, uh, dude, the struggle is so real, man. It gets so much worse and so much tougher and so much harder. And, and by the way, she was the one who had the four kids. She did all the work. What the hell did you do? What did you do? Exactly. I I did the fun part. That's it. Hey, it's one thing to get up before the kids go to school. I, I mean, I really respect that. That's not easy. But then you get that whole Jocko thing, man. When he's got that Timex right in your face at 4.32 every single morning. How insane is that? Because I know he's not rolling yeah. out at 4.32 to look at the morning newspaper, man. He's going to war at 4.32 every morning in his basement. Oh, yeah. He, he's killing himself out there. And then he's going surfing. He's taking pictures of the sun coming up. Like, after he's just a machine. And I'm always intrigued by guys like that now i don't give a 4 30 i'm gonna get about 5 15 or 5 30 and because my kids will start calling on our intercom and trying to get me trying to come down at 7 15 or so when they were getting ready for school and everything and they come down now now my my two oldest my eight and six year old they'll come down and, and jump on different things and try to pick up dumbbells and act like they're working out so maybe it'll have a positive influence on them who knows good man that's fun aj it is so so good to get caught up with you that was a tremendous conversation but as i mentioned since you were setting this thing up before you were even done playing i'm not at all surprised it's great to see you doing so well and i really respect your time and you taking so much time for that podcast that was a blast hey no problem thank you man i really appreciate it Summer's heat can be draining on your vehicle's battery. Rising temperatures can cause battery fluids to evaporate. So stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts right now. Have your battery tested for free. If your battery does need to be replaced, the professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts will help you find the exact superstar battery that fits your car or your truck, and you'll get it at a guaranteed low price. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. I said at the beginning of that conversation, AJ had reached out to me while he was still playing, looking for broadcast tips. And check this dude out right now. Man, so, so good. So energetic, so polished. A freaking pro. Huge thanks to him for that conversation. If you like that as much as I did, make sure you tell him about it. He's at official AJ Hawk on Twitter, at official AJ Hawk. Now, if you're new around here, we do this podcast every single Wednesday. If you want to keep up, and never miss another conversation, all you have to do is smash that subscribe button once and your podcast platform will automatically grab every future episode for you. You don't look for it. It will find you. It's simple. It's easy. It's smart. Make sure you do it. Speaking of smart, here is something that is decidedly not smart. Enjoy your voicemail segment and I'll see you next Wednesday. First new message. This is David from Buffalo here calling in about the uh, FedEx Cup. You know, I, I'll tell you one thing. I, I enjoyed the way that tournament went down, but I, I'll tell you one thing. I think it's going to be very quirky for people to get used to this odd format of a guy starting a tournament at 10 under par. I think this thing is going to be tweaked year in and year out. 
it's never going to be, you know, be as important as the four major championships are in the world of golf, but it's the next best thing. These guys are going to continue to play because, you know what, $15 million to these guys is a lot of money. And at the end of the day, if you back up that Brinks truck, especially in the world of professional golf, guys will show up and play. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Romy. Appreciate you. Congratulations on, you know, making it to the Hall of Fame. I think that's cool. Well-deserved. Not doing a Marty on you, man. War Marty, though. You are a mentor to all of us that like to do side little shows, little podcasts or periscopes or have a YouTube channel or do sports commentary. You know, I learned from you. And I appreciate you and, the you know, the whole team from Adam to LV to James to Garrett. Man, I sure enjoy the show, man. Hopefully one day I get to shake your hand and, and meet everybody. Until then, I'll keep calling and giving you my straight fire. Rack me! Message saved. Next message. Romy, Justin, and Melbourne. Wow. That podcast with Ray Leonard was absolutely your best. I mean, what do you expect when you have two Hall of Famers having some deep, deep discussions? If going away for two weeks produces podcasts like this, you can do it all the freaking time, dude. Incredible. Message saved. Next message. Hi, Adam. This is Winston, your tennis tender date. I just want to let you know how much I enjoy playing with you this weekend. I wanted to give you a call before I took my afternoon nap, but my only question to you after waxing you on the court was, tell me how my ass tastes. Message deleted. Next message. Romy, I don't know what's up with Botox. Er, plastic face. Er, Jarrah Jones and his bunch of ass-kissing yes-men. I bet these wet fish wielding handshakers are a bunch of crumb snatching fools who will laugh at anything. I mean, Jiminy Christmas, dudes, get a grip. That weirdo didn't say Jack that was funny. He said Zeke who? As in Zeke who gives a fuck? Message saved. Next message. Yo, Romy, Sean from New York here, Jungle Insider for 10 plus years. Excellent Pottera, my man, with Bill Hader, Jocko, Sugar Ray, Bob Costas, and Tony freaking Cuban. Are you kidding me? I'm not able to log any jungle time, so I've got to ask, doggy dog, where's baby hat? You know, you know, you know? Message deleted. You have no more messages.